Listen, January was something that we called Orphan Care Month, and many of you were here for the weeks in January, where we really just took, instead of a single Sunday out of the year, which we've often done, to look at orphan and foster care, we took an entire month to look at it, and we really linked it to our story with God. As Christians, our story is an adoption story. So we talked about the idea that adopted often in our culture, in the movies, and in all these things, is sometimes a shame term. Oh, well, you're adopted. But the gospel flips that around, doesn't it? And it says, and you're adopted. That's something to be, that's something to celebrate. God shows us this simple truth. Adopted equals wanted. So if you're ever called adopted, you ought to, you ought to celebrate that. And as Christians, this is our story. We took this concept of an umbrella and we thought no, no person in their right mind would be holding an umbrella in the pouring down rain and see someone next to them, much less a child, in need of some shelter and not share their umbrella. We talk about the fact that God's given us so much, it's resources, it's just stuff in our hands, it's, it's air in our lungs, it's energy, it's creativity, right? And how can we share our umbrella? So we just asked that question and, and we began to, to wrestle through some different things. And this question became kind of a, a penetrating thing for us. What if churches became the place where when people thought about unwanted babies, they thought, well, the church wants them. In the church, unwanted babies become beloved sons and daughters. What if that became the overriding reputation of Christian churches around the world? The place where unwanted babies became beloved sons and daughters. We say this all the time, that the Word of God is living and active. That should mean that there are transformations happening around us that we can see as a direct result because the Word of God is not only being heard, but read and obeyed and lived. What I want to do this morning, just for a couple of minutes, is I want to show you some of the tangible things that have taken place these are as a direct result of things that went on in January. So these are since January. It doesn't mean that there aren't other great things going on, and I've probably missed some. These are just ones that I'm aware of, okay? Here's a few of them. Our first 28 dresses were shipped to Africa, and Patty has been heading up a ministry sewing dresses for orphans around the world. And here's the exciting part. The next phase is to start sewing them for kids down at GCH, down in Mexico. So we'll get to hand deliver them and see these dresses on the girls that are being made here. Um, people are getting trained to either prepare or continue to parent kids from hard places. Yesterday we had the conclusion of a two-day conference in this room, and uh, it was incredible training. I think we're going to probably host it again. It was just good parenting stuff, much less those, of, those who are adopting and those who are thinking about foster care. It's just, it was amazing stuff to just how to connect with your kids and how to love them through some difficult times. Thirdly, the Hendersons raised money for real options, which is providing options for women who are pregnant and don't want their baby. How do we, how do we give them options rather than just abortion? And so that went on. Some of you may have seen pictures on Facebook. 27 of these trunks were delivered Easter morning to the kids down at GCH, down at the orphanage in Rosarito, Mexico. And there was enough money to put the name plaques on their trunk, on each kid's trunk, and it had some goodies in it as well. So just some, some precious pictures. That was donations raised by this group as a result of some things that went on in January. I'm not done yet. 
Uh, 15 more kids were sponsored through World Vision, bringing our total, I think, up to 60 or 65 every single month who are receiving sponsorship care at a single village in Ethiopia. And, and that went on. Two more have begun the adoption process. We are announcing officially that we're adopting from China again. So we would relish your prayers. And, and we're just, we're thrilled about it. And the second family, I asked them earlier this week, and I didn't follow up if I could throw their name out quite yet, so I'm not going to throw it out. But a second family that is actively pursuing, and we're shoulder to shoulder in this. So that's really thrilling. In addition, there are a couple of others that have begun not to just let it be an idea, but they're actually taking action steps toward, toward this. And finally, there's just others that have been making plans. There were some amazing connections. Is Patty Smith in the room this morning? She's not. That's awkward. So there's amazing connections that went on of just people who are saying, gosh, I wish we could do something right here for foster kids in Santa Clara County. And God aligned three people in the span of two days that I was the, the middle person for it. And I just said, well, you guys need to talk. And so some things are already being formulated for future ministry. James 1.22 says this, don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Get to the rest of the verse. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Don't just listen to the word of God. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. I want to thank you, church. I want to thank this congregation for what an amazing boost it is for me in my own personal faith to see God's living and active word raise up tangible difference. Now, again, I'm sure I've missed some things. These are just the things I could think of off the top of my head about some amazing things God is doing in our midst and the reach that we have. I want to show you um, something that that we are committed to. By the way, you, you may say, gosh, I didn't get involved in any of that. I want to get involved in that. Let me tell you, go talk to your community group leader. Go talk to your community group leader and say, uh, help me figure out how to get in on some of this stuff. Help connect me to the people that I need to talk to. You say, well, I don't have a community group leader. Go find a community group and join in. So much of this happens just in the context of, of community, of, of carving out time every week, and you start catching little pictures of, of, of things that are, that, are, that are going on. This is something that we call the play button around here, and it's kind of a, an image that just kind of tries to take a lot of things that we're doing as a church and puts them into, into an image that we can understand. There's three points to, to a triangle, and this play button we see, I see every single day in my life, I see a play button, um, and, uh, and there's, there's three points to it, um, worship, community, and share. And it kind of gives us a little bit of a skeleton, a little bit of a framework to, to, to see how as a church community we're, we're, we're really trying to push and, and pour into these things. Um, one of the things that you'll notice about Neighborhood Bible Church, you don't have to be here for very long to understand that we're, we're a fairly stripped-down church. We're fairly simple, meaning this. We don't hand you a list when you walk in the door of 67 programs that we have going. Now, we don't look down on churches that do that. That's a strategy that some churches use. And there's tons of great programs within about five miles of us. And I'm friends with most of the pastors, and I know the programs that are going on. So sometimes when people come and say, hey, I need a program with this, I say, oh, these people are killing it over there. Go over there and start doing it with them. That sounds great. We've intentionally remained very simple and very focused for a few different reasons, and I want to show you them very quickly before we continue in some songs. 
One of the reasons that we don't have tons and tons and tons of stuff going on is this, that when we come across a passage of Scripture in our own quiet time or something that we've done collectively as a church, and we feel this nudge, this pull of God to say, there, act on that, we're able to immediately uh, respond to that with focus, with intentionality, and with a ton of joyful energy. It doesn't feel like one more religious chore that we have to go do. We don't have to disentangle ourselves from the nine other committees that we're sitting on um, so that we can do this thing that actually really ignites our heart and our passion and is in obedience to God's word. Some of that went on with, with Orphan Care Month in January. Let me just show you with these uh, tangible change that I showed you on the screen a, a second ago that, that by not over-programming at this church, here's some of the Here's some of the results that we've kind of fallen into. Here's, here's number one. By not over-programming, leaders don't stagnate the creativity and the passion of the whole body. I mean, what would our church look like if it was up to a small handful of leaders, the elders and pastors at this church, to come up with all the creative, uh, cre- creativity and all the passion? And all you guys did was just cheerlead us. You know what happened? We'd burn out. And we'd rotate through leaders a whole bunch. You know what else? we would totally stagnate all this creativity that's, that's come up. That list I just showed you would have had one or two things. That's it. Because I never would have dreamed of making dresses for anyone. Right? That doesn't come from me. Right? All right, here's another thing. The great variety of the body is seen and developed. My son just broke his collarbone recently. It was on his right arm. When he got his sling off, you know what happened? His right arm was a little stick. He hadn't been using it much. Right? It's called atrophy. If you don't use that muscle, it's going to just shrivel up into nonsense. What happens sometimes in churches is this. There's some dynamic leadership. They're doing stuff. They're calling people and and recruiting people. But what happens is there's certain spiritual muscles that you're not using because that's not being asked of you. Or it's already handled really well, and so you just kind of shrivel up those parts, and they're not nurtured and stretched and developed and, and strengthened and get sore, and then grow, and all the parts that, that, that go on with that. Thirdly, this, participation and ownership is absolutely heightened when the leaders don't come up with all of the programs themselves. When you dream up, hey, we should really be doing this, and then you build a team, what happens is you own that. This isn't Dave's church, Ben's church, Cal's church, uh, the leader's church. This is your church. And you have a say in what goes on here. Every single one of those things I could just point to, by the way, if I had all those people stand up, I'd tell you what every single one of them would say. They would stand up and say, I had a great team around me. It really wasn't about me. I just was kind of joining in with what God was already doing and and a great team. It was a team sport, every one of those. One more. Jesus, which is the head of the church, receives the glory as the whole community is contributing to the mission. Rather than 20% of the body doing all the work and 80% kind of clapping and maybe writing a tithe check once in a while, Jesus receives the glory as the body begins to function as the body should function. And those unseen inner parts are clicking and the outward parts are clicking and no one's striving for their own glory. They're all showing off the glory of Jesus as he gifts the body as he sees fit. And it all works together. Do you see what a better picture this is than just a small handful uh, listing out some programs? 
this is what we're striving for. This is what I want you to remain energized about if you're already contributing in this way. And this is what I want to put in your brain to aspire to if right now you're sitting on the sidelines. And you're saying, I'm sitting on the sidelines, Dave, not because I'm not excited and energetic, but, but now I, I'm starting to see more what, what, what I can do. So as you hear God's word in here on Sundays, as you read God's word, as you listen to it, which I hope you are throughout the week, you ought to be asking these questions. God, is there something for me personally, for my family to be doing? Is there something for my dorm room to be doing? Is there something for my city block to be doing? Is this something that as a church, I need to rally some other people and we need to get active in this? That's the question I want you to ask. Um, let me turn it back over to the band um, and just uh, kind of continue by, by praying for a moment. <clears throat> God, we thank you that you are moving in our midst. And we thank you, God, that uh, this church, we so haven't arrived yet. You have so much more uh, to, to sharpen in each one of us. You have so much more to grow and stir up in us, God. I pray that this morning would be either a continuation or a turning point where we'd actively seek to cooperate with what you're doing in our life. Actively listen to what other people are doing and what you're accomplishing in other people so that we can join in and say, that's for me. I can help with that. God, I pray for those in here who have no idea what their spiritual gifting is, that you would begin to let that be a restless prayer that they would actively seek to pursue. In Jesus' name, amen. A little movie called Luxo Jr. made in 1986 and for those of you who lived in 1986, remember what a big deal that was. That's a movie genre called shorts, movie shorts. And in one minute and 30 seconds, that little film did a ton in 1986. Uh, one of the things it did was it told this story with heart in a minute and 30 seconds, right? I heard lots of, oh, and several of us will never look at a lamp quite the same after seeing that, that little arm, right? And we never thought of a lamp as cute until this movie came along. Uh, but the second thing that it did is it showed off some breakthrough technology that up until this point hadn't been available. Everything was hand-drawn before this. And so you can imagine each movement was drawn, and here was computer animation, a brand new term uh, that this company, Pixar, kind of introduced or, or really popularized for us. And now at the beginning of Pixar films that we all love so much, there's a little lamp jumping on, on the eye of Pixar, and, and that's where this came from. I bring up this for a specific reason. Jesus, Jesus revealed to us in some shorts. We're going to look at a short, if you will. It's a short little parable that says a lot. There's a lot of heart to this short little story he's going to tell. And it, it offers not breakthrough technology, but breakthrough spiritual power, if you will. Breakthrough ideas. So Jesus, too, told stories that, that really grabbed us in a very short period of time and had a lot of heart. What's powerful is we are still reading them, discussing them, talking about them 2,000 years later, although the stories themselves, some of them contain only a few words. Matthew chapter 13. Open up there. We're going to read just a couple of verses this morning um, that, that have to do with some of the red words of Jesus. We've been in this series looking at Words that Jesus said and learning directly from the greatest storyteller, the greatest preacher who ever lived. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. And if you're not there yet, or if you blink, you'll miss the story. So listen up. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Matthew 13 is a long list of stories. And what I've just done is I've kind of snatched out two little shorts, two little stories in the midst of it. And in all of Matthew 13, what's interesting is there's story after story about the kingdom of heaven, and he offers no interpretation. He doesn't give us, here's what this means, here's what the pearl represents, here's any of that. He just leaves that. In fact, in our community groups this week, um, we'll kind of look at that and say, what is Jesus saying with these? We've been talking about this a lot, the way that these open-ended stories where he doesn't wrap up. Remember last week there was a Pharisee and a tax man. We don't know how the Pharisee ended up. We don't know if the tax man left his practice after crying out for mercy to God. He leaves them open-ended. So it is with these. It's left with, with no real interpretation. Here's a couple of observations. For one, the kingdom of heaven is hidden to many. And its value, in both of these stories, this treasure, whatever was valuable, was hidden. It wasn't plainly seen to everyone. But it was valuable. It was treasure. It was a, it was a priceless pearl. So valuable, in fact, that those who discovered it, um, you know, went, went, did whatever it takes to, to get that prize. Here's something interesting. Both stories have the same basic point with this distinction. In the first one, the person stumbles upon this treasure. In the second one, he's actively looking for it. In Jesus' day, there were people who were looking for the Messiah. Remember the wise men? The wise men were actively searching for this. They had been studying about this. There are other people in the Gospels who say something like this. Is this the one who is to come? You know what that gives indication of? It gives indication that there were a segment of the population out there who were actively looking for the prophecies to come true. Isn't that true in our day too? There are some people actively looking for God, actively looking for answers. Is there truth in this? I'm going to go search for this. But the same as in Jesus' day, there were those who weren't and stumbled upon him, stumbled upon this whole kingdom of God business, and that's how it is today too. Some people are like, you know what, here's their story. I was going through life content as a clam when all of a sudden it's like God interrupted my life. We could think of the Apostle Paul who would be like that. He wasn't actively looking for the treasure, right? He, his life was, was interrupted by, by something. Either way, once discovered, no possession or concern stands in the way of this person getting either that field or getting that pearl. Notice that it's not a begrudged purchase price. There's nothing negative or droopy about it. In his joy, after covering it back up, he goes and sells everything he has. Why? So he can get that field. In his joy, he does it. Big indicator. If you've come another way to Jesus, it's quite possible you don't know what you're getting. If you're still sitting in here wondering, I wonder if Jesus is a good value. That's a very valid question. Because you're evaluating your time right now. Is this something worthwhile doing? Christians say you're kind of supposed to go to church. That we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to worship together. We're supposed to do these things. Is this a good investment? We've got a lot of things to do today. If you find yourself over and over and over wondering that, A, you're not alone. 
B, maybe you, maybe you were told something about Jesus, or maybe you don't quite understand the value of Jesus. Let me show you something Jesus did. Jesus was constantly reminding or assuring his followers that he was a good investment. Watch this. When Jesus warned his disciples that they might get their heads chopped off, see Luke 21, he comforted them with this promise that nevertheless, not a hair on their heads would perish. Second time, he warned them that discipleship means self-denial and crucifixion, Mark 8. He consoled them with the promise that whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do you hear what he's doing? Hey, these negative things are going to come along. It's going to make you question your investment. Hang in there. There is a massive, massive payout. This is a good investment. One more. Times are going to get tough. He commanded them to leave all and follow him. He also assured them that they would receive a hundredfold now with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you hear it? Jesus is a great investment. And Jesus himself assured his followers because he knew they'd question that reality. When things get tough, don't you question your commitment to Christ? You say, I wonder if this is still valid. I wonder if this is still worth trudging through this part of it. Jesus knew that would come, and he's, he's offering his followers assurance. Now he's saying in this story something like this. Look, I don't care what you have to sell or leave or, or, uh, or get rid of. This is a steal at any price. Come and get this field. Come and get this, this pearl. This treasure is of infinite value. Come and get it. Matthew 6.21, Jesus says this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Something that we instinctively know and see from experience is that we all treasure something or someone. All of us. Every one of us in this room treasures someone or something. Probably you could make a list of things. It really says a lot about you and actually your direction, your heart, what it is that you treasure, what it is that you find valuable. Here's the question. Is knowing Jesus your treasure or is it something else? Part of why we gather is probably to be reminded I know this cognitively. I know I've worked through this before. But I just need reminding this week that just knowing Jesus is enough. You ever get that way? I'm the preacher. I get that way all the time. I need this reality, this reassurance. Knowing you is enough, Jesus. Some of you have been barely dragged yourself in here this morning. Welcome. I'm thrilled that you're here. Some of you are floating in here on cloud nine. Jesus is enough. Part of growing up is making choices about what is valuable, right? And some leave behind what they used to consider treasure for something far greater. Some take sin's detour and find themselves themselves treasuring things that lead to some really dark places. And their hearts are telling them, man, you've been duped. You've been treasuring and valuing things And you made that choice. You veered off of that. That was lured in front of you, and you you felt like that was treasure. And you've lived enough time now that you're able to look back and connect the dots and say, man, that's where I started to veer off course. I started to value things that, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't valued. 
Let me go back to Pixar for, for one moment. Nine years after Luxo Jr. Uh, went, uh, went uh, public, um, an Oscar was won for Toy Story, their very first full-featured uh, uh, animation film. And when they were uh, requested to do that, they had no idea they could do a full feature. They, they, were, they were panicked by that. That was a scary thought for them. I want you to imagine for a moment what it must have been like for those, there was the same basic core team that was a part of Pixar for Luxo Jr. that then got to stand on the first of several Oscars that they won as, as, a, as a company. I wonder what it would have been like to be up there and to lean over. Think of how loaded the term Luxo Jr. must be for that group. I mean, can you imagine one of them, I, I don't know if this happened, but you can imagine one of them leaning over and saying, man, Luxo Jr. got us, got us a long ways. Who would have thought that with Luxo Jr. we'd be here, right? Why? Because they were, they were together when it wasn't a giant payoff. They were together when it was just this, this little dream of telling stories and, and, and being techie and kind of figuring stuff out. All of a sudden, here they are in this different season. I want you to imagine for a moment what the disciples must have thought about the word treasure before they met Jesus and after they met Jesus. And maybe when they hear a story like this, how loaded the term treasure must be. We don't know all the side conversation that comes of it. Jesus tells a lot of stories in Matthew 13. We can assume that the disciples were there and around him. Obviously, Matthew's recording this, right? These things didn't just happen and they didn't say anything until Matthew 14. So, so after all these stories, you know they're kicking it around and they're talking about it, just like you guys do with movies. What do you think that meant? And didn't you love that character? Didn't that surprise you? I wonder how the word treasure was changed from that point on. How were the disciples, we, we are the week after Resurrection Sunday, Easter, what was it like for the disciples to gather the week after the first Easter? Can you imagine? I mean, here's one of the things I'm pretty convinced of. I don't think they were late to church. I don't think they griped about the temperature of the building, right? I think they were together going, no way! Can you even believe this? This is crazy. I mean, everything has changed now. Now, we know from the two on the road to Emmaus, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, there was still doubt. They were still wondering, but we still don't even know exactly what this means. But there's already been some appearances. There's rumblings. We're starting to piece it together. And I wonder how this word treasure would have cycled around with them. I wonder if some of them came up and just slapped someone else on the back and said, aren't you glad you bought the field? I mean, do we regret for a moment that we went after this priceless pearl? Not a chance. Man, this is everything. Jesus was right. He was right. This field was worth it. The word treasure means something different to us when we come into a relationship with Jesus as well, right? We all had the word treasure, something we thought about immediately came to our minds. And as a Christian, something different is attached to those things. Things we used to not treasure, we now treasure. Here's what we see about the rest of the Bible. I want to transition from Jesus' short little story, and I want to just begin to get your brain to extrapolate and say, I wonder how these stories were told and retold. Man, 
Glad you bought the field. I'm glad I bought the field, right? It's shorthand. It's Luxo Jr. for uh, it's so much more than just the word treasure. But I want to show you a passage of Scripture for the rest of the morning uh, to this point, that God doesn't come and just give you the treasure. He gives us the treasure as Christians, and then he says what? Give it away. It's not about you just getting the treasure. It's about you getting the treasure and giving the treasure away. That's where I want to steer your brain now. Turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We use the word share around here. You just saw it on our play button. Worship community and share. Every parent is thrilled when their child in the, in the sandbox says, I'm going to give some of what I have to another kid for no other external reason than they just do it. A parent's heart leaps at that. Why? Because that's counterintuitive to toddlers, right? That is not normal in us. What we say with that as parents as, good boy, good girl. Why? We've been trying to, to instill that in them. We're proud of them when they do that. I've never seen, I spend a lot of time in our city's parks. Why? Because it's free. It's not really free. We pay for it. But I use my taxes, right? I've never heard a parent, stop that sharing! Do not share! I've, I've never heard it. So it's something in the heart of parents that just says, man, that, that, that pleases me. That's the image of God in us, I think. Isn't the father pleased when not for the reward of a promised popsicle in 30 seconds, but, but just because we're learning and wanting to please the father that we share? Whether it be our umbrella or our time, or the most important thing we could offer to someone, the treasure, right? So the word share around this church, when you hear that, that means sharing your very life, your resources, your time, the, the stuff God's given to you, entrusted to you. But it also is this Christian word evangelism. Evangelism simply means sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, being a witness about Jesus Christ. Paul found himself stumbling into the field with the treasure in it on the Damascus Road, and then he writes to others who had sold everything in their joy to gain this treasure. And now he's explaining the Christian life. This is how you share. This is how you go about not just receiving the treasure, but giving it away. That's what Jesus left us with. Go and make more disciples. Hey, you disciples, all this stuff you've been watching me do, you go do it now. I'm giving the whole thing to you. You're in charge. Go and make disciples of the whole earth. Paul used to treasure some things. In a word, you could say performance. Rule-keeping, hand-washing, date-keeping, festival-keeping, that sort of a thing. He was a Pharisee all-star. And now he speaks about treasure in a completely different way. I'm going to read this passage, and what I want you to notice is I want you to notice the what and the where of the treasure. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Like a lot of Paul's writings, that's a mouthful, right? There's a lot in there. I've been digesting this for a while now. There's a lot in there. We're not going to get to all of it, but I want to just point out a couple of things. Whether stumbling upon it or looking out for it when least expected, now that you have the treasure, you are called to give it away. Do you notice what it is? What is this treasure? It's the ministry of the gospel. It's, it's the facts we just celebrated last Sunday. It's the secrets of God. If you're a Christian, you primarily don't have good advice. You have good news. That's the Christian faith. Something has happened. That's what I want to testify to. I shouldn't share my faith because I don't know the answers to all the things. That's okay. You're not a trained counselor. You're probably not all that smart in and of yourself. Your advice, maybe we should take it or leave it. You know what you have? You have good news. You just share that. Romans 1.16 says that's the power of God to save for everyone who believes. It's a powerful thing when you bumble through sharing, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and someone says, I want that. I would take everything. No, 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 you don't understand. Uh, this means like, like leave everything to follow Jesus. I know I want that. Uh, but I just bumbled my way through that. You, you sure you want it? Yeah, I want that. Why? The power's in the good news of the gospel. A stated reality that's gone on and that has happened to you that people receive. Where is this treasure? Take your finger and go like this. We always say Jesus in my heart. He's not really there in an organ, right? Verse 7. What is a jar of clay besides a killer band from the 90s? What is it? It's, it's a little common it's a little common pot. Kind of modern vernacular for it, it's Tupperware. You don't think much about Tupperware until I say the word Tupperware, right? And then you're like, oh, that's the one where I kind of burp the, the lid closed, right? And it's all sealed fresh. You, you just don't care about Tupperware that much. Jars of clay were that common. They're just, they're just little planting pots. They were pretty easy to get. And they were, if they broke, you just got another one. Not that big of a deal. Where is this priceless pearl? <coughs> In a cracked pot. <laughs> there it is. You know what would be a great Christian marketing idea is just have a white shirt with a giant X on it. And people go, what's, what's the X about? You know what the X is? 
The X represents where the treasure is. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you about it a little bit. What is that X on your shirt? Uh, You know what? The X is where God chooses to dwell and live and reveal his glory. As in you, right? What's the X about? It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let me tell you about him. If any of you do that, give me some royalties on that. Um, God's glory in Tupperware. Think about it. Here's what's interesting. It's not the cleaned up righteous me that Christ dwells in. It's not the shining example of how wise, skilled, and together me that, that Christ chooses to dwell in. It's the real me. The everyday me. The unshaven, disheveled, disorganized, or hyper-organized me. False and all. Unproven, unreliable, in need of an overhaul, me. That's the Tupperware God puts his glory in and says, now, go and shine, go and give it to other people. What are the implications for those who realize this? There's many in this room who have sold everything, left everything, and gained the field and haven't regretted it for a day. There's others of you who've made that decision, and you're right now, today, wondering if you made a, a, a good decision. Maybe some of you are pondering this choice. Maybe you never, never, some of you have never even heard this option available. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, We have this ministry by the mercy of God. And look what it says. And we do not lose heart. That's speaking to Christians who are actively looking to share. We do not lose heart. Where did you get this mercy? Where did you get this ministry in the first place? By the mercy of God. You're tired, you're inadequate, you're discouraged. Remember, and don't lose heart. Think about this for a moment. What about us declares God's glory? We sang in the first song that the heavens and earth declare the glory of God. Every blade of grass, the way the world is put together, it shows off a creator. You know, we're supposed to do the same thing. We're the pinnacle of God's creation. What about us shows off God's glory? You know what we highlight? You know what the Christian bookstore is filled with? Stories of big turnarounds, right? Don't we love the big turnaround story? The one who was an absolute train wreck and now is a missionary. We love that story. We love big turnarounds. How about fast growth? People, people who just companies and Christian stories, fast growth, we, we love that story. How about people who are bold or courageous in their witnessing? We love that one. How about how blessed my life is? There's a whole Christian subculture that says, uh, look at how great God is by my great health, by my great wealth, by my perfectly put together spouse, by my immaculate children. Look at that so you can see God's glory. Some of you are like, I'm glad we're not that church, right? Because I don't think I'm any of those things. What is it? Think about it. What is it that shows off God's glory? What if? What if it's actually through our normalness and not our shininess? Isn't that good news? That's more good news, right? That God could be shown off best, even, through our normalness and not our shininess. Think about people's testimony. What does it mean to testify? Look at verse 5 for a second. He says, for what we proclaim, you could say testify, 
is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. There's a lot of confusion over what we're testifying to. You know what most Christian testimonies look, look like? They look like, I was once a flabby Gentile, and now I'm a super-ripped, six-pack Christian. Isn't that right? It's diet ad stuff. Here's how terrible I used to be, how terrible my life used to be, what horrible choices I used to make, what awful things I treasured, but now, right? And then we hold this pose for as long as we can. We're like, is the spotlight off? Can I be done with that now? You listen, a lot of Christian testimonies are that way. To testify is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and what? Nothing but the truth. Unless it makes me look bad. Why? Because that'll make God look, by, look, look bad. Wrong. Lie of Satan. Testify. If you don't know, say, I don't know. Remember last week, the whole idea of coming clean? That vital in our relationship with God is just coming clean. Meaning that we used to be dishonest about this part of our life, about this part of our story, about who we actually are, and now we're ready to just be honest about it. So really, we walk in these doors dirty. We come dirty so that what? So we can come clean. We can just say, God, here's who I am. You already know it. Help me start just walking. Help me get in line with who, I'm, who I actually am so you can start doing your work. And you find out something utterly remarkable. People are far more drawn to the glory of God by seeing you as you really are, crackpot and all, your normalness, your ordinariness. And they see, wow, this is just a person who's just walking with the Lord. This is what being a Christian means. I, I want that. I, I can achieve that. I can't achieve that stuff on TV. It inspires me. But I know deep down there's no way I'll ever be able to walk like that person. So in that sense, it discourages me. The treasure is put in strugglers. Why? It's really clearly told to us in verse 7. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and what? And not from us. Everyone take a deep breath in. Hold it. And just release right now. Doesn't that feel amazing? Isn't that weird? That's a cool little thing to do. Free oxygen. That's a giant sigh of relief. It's not about you. It's not about your perfect testimony. It's not about your perfect up and to the right spiritual growth. You're unreliable. We get it. God chose you anyways. Isn't that remarkable? Should you work on your unreliability? Ask your friends and your family. Yes! It's called sanctification. Grow! But don't hide it. Don't pretend you're not. We all like the other kinds of comments, but perhaps the best compliment you can receive is this. You are used to tell people about God? Weird. Uh, thanks. You lead a ministry at your church? You started this thing? You? Really? Huh. Thank you. You're considered hospitable and patient and people are having their lives changed because of those things? You? You know what? We all like the other kinds. <laughs> but that might be an incredible 
compliment to receive. Because you think to yourself, yeah. Yeah, isn't that just like God to choose the last person you'd ever expect for the job? Why? To, to let God get the glory. To have people question, it can't be you. So what else attributes to this success, to this change, to the things going on around here? Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.26. You're going to want to write this down. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. That's another shorthand for finding the treasure in the field and following Christ. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See the same line of reasoning? Why does he do that? To show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from you. I want you to envision for a moment being handed a little cheap plastic flashlight that you could buy at Osh for a couple bucks. And I want you to envision for whatever reason you find your way into some jungle Amazon village and it's pitch black and you click that puppy on and you start to use it around camp. The townspeople rush up to you. What do they marvel at? The plastic? The cool grip? The sweet little wrist thing that you could put on your... No! They don't care one bit about the flashlight. What do they marvel at? The light. Why are they marveling? Because there's nothing like it that they've ever seen in their lives before, and it's useful. They immediately see, wow, it's a dark place. This is useful. You just click it on and off, on and off. You could set it up. You could move it around. You don't burn yourself with it. You could put it on your tongue, right? They would marvel at that thing. The light of the gospel has been placed in ordinary plastic, cheap little things. Some are shiny and metal. Some are giant. Some are mag lights. Some are off-brand. We don't really care about the flashlight. The light is what the treasure is. Shining up the old clay pot, not only is it an exercise in futility, it can't be done, it's actually counterproductive, meaning it shouldn't be done. As you go and try to shine up the outside and make it look really good, it's a fool's errand. Why? Because people see through that anyways. You exhaust yourself, and as you lay in bed at night, you're like, that was dumb. The cracks are still there, right? What if God isn't finished with you yet? What if that hurt, that crack, that fissure that's gone on in your life is actually going to be redeemed in some way, yet to be determined for God's glory? God has this thing with ordinariness, with the helpless, with the small, with the insignificant, with the cowardly. Be that a nation or a people or an object. Our legacy is one of cracked pots. Think about Israel. Israel as a nation. Her history. It's written down for us. Moses doubted God's wisdom in choosing him. You have to have the wrong guy. I'm the worst candidate. I'm slow of speech. Jacob cheats his brother and deceives his father. Gideon, what's Gideon's problem? 
He's cowering. He's hiding out. What's he supposed to be called to be and what does he end up being? A fierce warrior. Cracked pot. Jesus uses children, which in our day are kind of idolized. In Jesus' day, they were shunned. They were an afterthought. Jesus uses mustard seeds, bread, water, salt, light. Jesus himself, humble, common, no stately form or majesty, a man of no reputation. God shines through your ordinariness, not through your shininess. To be like Christ, then, is to be nothing in the world's eyes and be absolutely fine with it. You know why you're fine with it? Because you're something in the Father's eyes. Not just something, you're a prize. The Apostle Paul wasn't won over by an idea or a philosophy. The Apostle Paul met a person, and he was utterly transformed. Look at what he says about losses and gains in Philippians 3. Whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My question remains for you. What is the value of knowing Jesus to you this morning? I bet for some of you, you've already bought the field. And to you, I would just say rejoice in this. Relish in this. We're going to sing two more songs that highlight how grateful we are that we're known by Jesus, that we have the kingdom. My name is written in heaven, and that won't ever change. Bring it on, world, come what may. Maybe for others of you, you're starting to see the value of Jesus. Here's my invitation to you. Ready? Buy the fields. It's going to cost you. I'll tell you what selling everything so that you can have this one thing will look like. It might mean ending a relationship. It may mean changing jobs. It might mean starting a new habit. But look around you. Today, there are tons of people who heard the voice of Jesus, chose to leave it all, and follow him. Ask them about their experience. Some of them have been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive. Those are good people to walk along with. Let me pray. Father, thank you for being the treasure, revealing the treasure. And God, thank you for treasuring us, for adopting us, for wanting us. God, would you stoke in our church a hunger, a delight in sharing the treasure, not out of drudgery, not out of duty. And if there are those today who need to take this step of faith, who need to buy the field, who just maybe today are being stirred with, what is it that I treasure and is it leading my heart to where I want it to go? God, do your work, have your way, do it in your timing. In Jesus' name, amen.